It's so good to be with you this morning, and uh, we have an incredible privilege to gather around God's Word and to dive into it and to explore uh, kind of what God wants us to be thinking about and praying about collectively as a community. And so excited to have you with us today for um, not just this message, but our series of messages. We've been talking about unexpected togetherness. We live in a world that right now seems to be kind of trying to tear away at the fabric of what unites us. And we believe that God's good news, that His grace, that His love, that His mercy is the kind of thing that, uh, these are the things that pull us together. So in this series of messages, we've been walking through the Gospel of Luke and we've been talking about the things that we have to overcome in order to be a community. So we've been talking about isolation and shallowness and busyness and confusion and wounds and rejection and distrust. And as we overcome these things, we start to become a different kind of community. And we believe that the cross of Jesus Christ and the gospel actually accomplishes this. And today, our topic is ulterior motives. I mean, have you ever listened to somebody and you kind of doubted the sincerity of what they were telling you? Have you ever been listening to someone and you kind of wonder if they're like this, they got both fingers, you know, behind their back crossed? You ever been watching TV and listen to a politician or some sort of marketing scheme or, or maybe just someone in media itself or maybe even a friend or even a pastor. I mean, I know not at Peachtree, but have you ever listened to a preacher and questioned the sincerity of what they said? Do they really mean it? Do they really walk it? Yes, even preachers have ulterior motives, kind of like this cartoon here. Pastor Dwayne, would you really visit me as often if the hospital didn't have ESPN? Maybe, maybe not. I remember in my own pastoral training, um, I started out and uh, did a pastoral care internship. And basically what that means is I would go to the hospital and at first I would go to the hospital with someone who was already a pastor and I would follow them around and just kind of observe how they would handle a hospital visitation. And then after a while, of course, like most training, then they hand things over to you and they allow me to take the lead in the pastoral situation in the room and they're there and they're, they're kind of watching and observing and providing coaching. And one of the first pastoral visits I did, I walked into the room, I talked, we did the kinds of things, we prayed, walked out, I'm feeling pretty good about it. And, and he literally took his Bible and hit me on the shoulder with it and he's like, why did you say what you just said? I don't know, I just said it. Basically, he started walking me through a process of checking my motives at the door. Of was I saying something in order to break the tension? Was I saying something because I was uncomfortable with their pain? Was I saying something to make myself look better, God look better, the church look better? And, and bit by bit, room by room, they were stripping away the different ulterior motives that sometimes a pastor can bring to a hospital room. 
This is some of the surgery that Jesus does. It's one of the unique things about his ministry that, that Jesus doesn't just stop with external conformity in religious matters. And he's like, yes, you should pray. But then Jesus would say things like, and when you pray, the motive needs to be like this because it doesn't do any good to do the right things from the wrong reasons. Or, or when you give, like Jesus says you should give, but you, you can't give in that way, otherwise you're kind of destroying the gift. Or when you fast, you, you can't do a discipline of abstinence and do it in that way without destroying the very discipline that you're trying to do. And so Jesus says, you know, be careful not to practice your righteousness before others in order to be seen by them, because if you do, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. In other words, your motives matter. And Jesus does this training to get to our very hearts. It's not just about what we do. There's this internal check of why we do what we do. Today, I want to show you an encounter from the Bible of a man who has some ulterior motives, some hidden agendas that Jesus is about to expose. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? If you have your own Bible, if, if, you, if you can, circle, underline, put a star by that phrase, and he wanted to justify himself. Because in those moments when we're honest and we stop long enough to think about it, a lot of the times what we say or what we do is not from a pure motive, but an ulterior motive of trying to justify ourselves. There are common, you know, kind of self-justification, self-rationalizations, making us feel better about ourselves. Maybe you struggle with one of these. The first one is um, maybe your, your self-justification is you like to win. For you, it's all about success, that that's your kind of motive, your self-justification. For others of you, maybe you're like this girl. It's all about looking good for you. you everything that you do is about trying to raise your sense of how you look. Or maybe you're like this boy. For you, it's all about being right. And so let's put all three of these kind of common self-justifications, to win, to look good, to be right, success, status, or satisfaction. Let's have a little interactive moment, a little moment of vulnerability. Turn to somebody next to you. You may know them well, you may not know them well, but share which one is your top one out of these three. Which one of these is your favorite self-justification?
How many of you had a hard time picking of the three? You're kind of like, yes, yes, and yes. But if you don't know which one is the one that you're best at, that's kind of your spiritual gift, um, then just, just, ask, just ask somebody who's close to you. They can tell you which one is your primary way of justifying yourself. I struggle with all three, but the one that I probably struggle with the most, I like to win. I am in it to win it. A couple of years ago, our family was on a vacation. We went on a, a, a cruise. And while we're on the cruise, they have all these kind of silly activities. And one of the activities that they had was a ship-wide video game Mario Kart contest. And it was adults versus kids. And we're hanging out in this big lounge area where they've got these huge kind of media screens. And, and uh, they were getting ready for kind of the, the last of the contests. And in order to make the contest work right, they had to have an equal number of adults and children. And I didn't sign up in advance, wasn't actually planning on uh, participating at all. In fact, our family was playing a card game, which I was winning, by the way, a card game uh, over here on the side. And, but they, they asked, they're like, we need one more adult in order for, for this to work. And so I volunteered. The other thing you may not know uh, as a backdrop is that your pastor has some crazy mad skills from the 1980s when it comes to certain types of video games. And so I get up to Mario Kart and we're, you know, two adults, two kids. We start the race, we go, I win the race. So I go back and I'm playing cards with the family. We're just kind of hanging out and the rest of the contest is going on. And because I won, I advance to the next round of the tournament. And so I participate in the next race. We take off and I win the second race. And so now I'm walking back to the table, but I'm strutting a little bit as I walk back to the table and we're hanging out some more. And uh, I win the third race. And then before you know it, I'm, I'm in the final heat. Like it's the final, the ship wide Mario Kart contest. And there's like the first officer and there's me and there are these two kids. And right next to me is the snottiest, cockiest 11-year-old boy you've ever met in your life. And he is talking trash. He's looking at me and he's like, I'm going to wipe you off the screen. And I'm a pastor and I'm trying to think as a pastor, how do you talk trash as a pastor? And I said, you know what? Be prepared to meet your maker, pal, because that's how, that's how we talk trash in the church. And, and he really was. I mean, he was just jabber-jabbing, talking smack. All right, you, you're on. It is game on time. We're taking off. And this kid, boom, takes off. I mean, he's got crazy video game skills. I'm doing my best, but I'm not doing very well. And I fall behind right at the beginning, make some classic blunders. I'm like, oh, will I ever catch up? And so I get into it and I start catching up and I'm catching closer and I get closer and I get closer. And then towards the very end, I get the best power up that you can get. And I not only zoom past the 11 year old, I run over him and push him off a cliff as I go right across the finish line line. <gasps> Woo! Yes! I got both hands in the air. 11-year-old ball boy starts bawling like I like waterfall tears are flowing down his face. And the representative from Disney who's watching all of this going on is like looking at me like, seriously? 
like, who, who are you? What, what are you doing? And like the boy just kind of runs off crying and, and, and she takes the microphone and she's trying to rescue the moment, right? So she takes the microphone to interview me and, um, and, and she says, and I've got, the, I've got the blood flowing now. I've got the adrenaline flowing. I'm feeling it. She says, so how does it feel to crush a little boy's dream? <laughs> and she's expecting me to try to help to redeem this moment. And I say, it feels great. I'm not a communist. Woo! <laughs> and she is shaking her head. At this point, my family is totally embarrassed and hiding under the table. And just to prove to you, this is not one of those made-up stories. This is the real story that I am the shipwide Mario Kart winner. And when she puts this medal around my neck, and I bend over to bow to let her put it on my neck. I'm like, oh my gosh. She's like, what? I'm like, this is like that moment at the end of the first Star Wars movie, you know, with Han Solo. I'm like, I, I, I feel that. I feel this triumph. And she looked at me, and microphone's away at this point, and she goes, you have issues. You know that, right? <laughs> I turn around to face my adoring crowd which is like totally dispersed. My family is nowhere to be seen. But I'm a winner. You don't mind if I wear this for the rest of the message, do you? Just, just kind of feeling it. Yeah, my family wanted me to take it off as, as well. They were walking around the ship. People were like, were you that guy that made a boy cry? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's me. So sometimes it's like fun to be a winner, but sometimes it's... It could be serious. I remember when I became a pastor for the first time at a young age, and I was in the New York City area. I was at this church, and um, and there was this associate on staff. Her name her name was Pat, and Pat had worked for IBM for like twenty years, and uh, she was just a seasoned vet. Like nothing nothing faced her. She was really wise. And she knocked on the door of my office one day and she said, hey, Rich, um, do you have a moment? I'm like, yeah, Pat, come on in. What do you want to talk about? And she said, actually, we need to kind of have a hard conversation. I'm like, hey, whatever it is, let's roll up our sleeves. Let's solve the problem. Let's get to the bottom of it. And she goes, I'm like, what do you want to talk about? She's like, I I, I want to talk about your preaching. I'm like, get out of my office, Pat. Like, (laughs) who do you think you are? So we sit down and I'm like, "Well, well, what is it? Like, And she said, Rich, I've been listening to you for like four or five months now. And and, and don't don't get me wrong. She's like, you work hard. And you're a great communicator. But she's got, I got a question for you. I keep listening to you. And I keep wondering in the back of my mind... Is he preaching to be a good preacher? Or is he preaching because he loves us? Wow. Because truth be told, I was 26, 27 years old. And I was like, I'm going to win as a pastor. I'm going to win 
their approval. I'm going to make sure that they know that they didn't make a mistake hiring some young buck to be their pastor. I'm going to win as a preacher. But that subtext, that pretext, had its fingerprints over everything that I said. It wasn't but a few months later that 9-11 happened, that the Twin Towers came down and my heart shattered for that congregation, for that community. And it didn't just change me as a person, it changed me as a pastor. Simon Sinek in a book called Start With Why says, you know, people don't really buy what you do, they buy why you do it. Motive matters. And so what I'm trying to tell you in light of today's story and today's topic is this, is that you'll never, ever, ever, ever love your neighbor if you're trying to justify yourself. You can't do it. If to love someone is to will their good, you cannot will their good at the same time of trying to justify yourself. It occupies the same real estate. It's actually not possible to do both of those things at the same time. And so you have to choose. Am I going to love or am I going to justify myself? Am I going to love or am I here to look good? Am I going to love or am I here to be right? Am I going to love or am I in it to win it? You got to choose. And thank God that... Jesus came to us, not just to tell us about love and not just to describe love and to define love, but to show us what love is, both mostly in his life, but also in his stories. And so to this self-rationalizing, ulterior motive, hidden agenda guy, Jesus tells a story. He tells this story when he said, a man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. He was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and he went away, leaving him half dead. And a priest, someone who you would think would be compassionate and understanding, happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, passed by on the other side. And so to a Levite, somebody who would know the law, God's special care and concern for the poor, someone who knows the call of what it means to love our neighbor, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But then a Samaritan, a half-breed, a traitor, someone who was considered to be unorthodox, unfaithful. When this Samaritan, this guy who is hated, as he traveled, he comes to where the man was and he saw him and he didn't have to pray about it, didn't have to think about it. He took pity on him. He had compassion for him and he went to him and he bandaged his wounds and he poured on oil and wine to heal him. And then he put, on his, put him on his own donkey. In other words, he was a man of great wealth. And he brought him to an inn and he took care of him. And the next day he pulled out his American Express card And he gave it to the innkeeper and he said, look after him. And when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expenses that you have. That's loving your neighbor. What does it mean 
to love. It means to give with no strings attached. You're giving without condition. You're giving without expecting anything in return. Jesus says, if you love those who love you, what reward are you really getting? Don't even the pagans do that? So we find ourselves at a crossroads. We find ourselves at an intersection, an intersection of the religion and the gospel. Every religion to some degree has as kind of a premise that if you do these things, then you earn something else. Um, if, you, if you obey this, then you get acceptance. And the gospel is the opposite of that. The gospel is not a religion. The good news of God is that you and I, we are accepted. And because we are accepted, then we joyfully will obey and do the things that God calls us to do. Do you see how, whether you're trying to do something religiously or according to the gospel, how those two motives are radically different from one another? Think of it in terms of the difference between an ulterior motive and an ultimate motive. I like how these two pastors describe it in this way. Pastors say this, ulterior motives is something intentionally kept concealed. An ulterior motive is usually manipulative. It is when we do or say one thing out in the open, but intend or mean another thing in private. Ultimate means the farthest point of a journey. An ultimate goal is an eventual point or a longed-for destination. Examples are when a person begins college hoping to become a physician one day, or when a kid starts playing basketball with dreams of one day playing in the NBA. The ulterior motive in good neighboring must never be to share the gospel. You read that right. The ulterior motive in good neighboring must never be to share the gospel. But the ultimate motive is just that, to share the story of Jesus and his impact on our lives. So sharing the story of Jesus and his impact on our lives is the right motive, but it cannot be the ulterior motive in developing relationships. We don't love our neighbors to convert them. We are converted, and because of that, we love our neighbors. Can I get an amen? amen. How important is that in today's day and age? With all of the hidden agendas, with all the ulterior motives. As, I mean, Christians were some of the worst at this, aren't we? And people can smell it coming a mile away. It's the difference between manipulation and inspiration. It's the difference between a transaction and a relationship. It's all about motive. There's an older movie called uh, The Big Kahuna. Uh, it's got Kevin Spacey and Danny DeVito. It's a very religious film, as you can probably guess. And uh, it's about three guys who are in sales. And their company, the, 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 what they sell is they sell professional-grade lubricants. And uh, they've got this big pitch, this huge sale that, that would change everything about him, this incredible opportunity. Two of the three guys in the film, you know in the narrative, are Christian. One's a Christian in the film, and he's been through the challenge of alcoholism 
and is in recovery, and his faith has, the, has a different character to it. In contrast to Bob in the film, who is more of a Christian, rigid, fundamentalist kind of approach. And Bob, the Christian fundamentalist, gets an opportunity to make that big pitch. And he goes to see the CEO. But at the last second, instead of actually selling what they're supposed to sell, he makes a decision and tries to proselytize that CEO. And this is the fallout of that decision. You too are an honest man, Bob. I believe that, that somewhere down deep inside of you is something that strives to be honest. The question that you have to ask yourself is has it touched the whole of my life? What does that mean? That means that you preaching Jesus is no different than Larry or anybody else preaching lubricants. It doesn't matter whether you're selling Jesus or Buddha or civil rights or how to make money in real estate with no money down. That doesn't make you a human being. It makes you a marketing rep. If you want to talk to somebody honestly as a human being, ask him about his kids. Find out what his dreams are, just to find out, for no other reason. Because as soon as you lay your hands on a conversation, to steer it, it's not a conversation anymore. It's a pitch. And you're not a human being. You're a marketing rep. Can we agree that Jesus doesn't need any more marketing reps? He needs disciples. He needs followers where the gospel, the good news of God's love and grace has touched your whole life. That's the invitation that we're given. And yet, we manipulate it and turn it into something that it was never intended to be. It's not a conversation anymore, it's a pitch. And you're not a human being anymore. You're a marketing rep. It's not what Jesus wants. It's not what he asks. Earlier this year, um, over the summertime, both my parents and my wife's parents celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary as they were married in the same summer. 100 years of marriage between both sides of the family, and so a lot of activity tied up with, with that. And Kelly's parents rented a house in Charleston and invited us and other extended family to kind of stay for a portion of that week and come in and celebrate with them. And so here we are. Uh, we decided one night to, to take them out to a really great dinner. And so we take them out to dinner. And before we had left on the trip, uh, we had installed a new security system at our house 
So we go to Charleston and we've installed this new security system and part of the new security system has one of those doorbells that's also a camera, also allows you to do kind of a, a, like, a, like a chat, like a, a video chat through it. And so we sit down to dinner and we're not really used to this security system, but we sit down and all of a sudden our phones start lighting up and, and, and I don't know what's going on and Kelly gets to her phone first and she gets to her phone and she's like, Rich, it's the front door. And I'm like, oh yeah, don't worry about it. And she's like, no, you don't understand. It's the Mormons. And I'm like, you're right, honey. This is more my field. I got it. So I take my phone and I walk outside from the meal and I'm in the alleyway in Charleston and I finally answer the call and I'm like, hello, fellow elders. And they're looking at each other like, what? They're like checking their notes. Do we have the right house? I'm like, my fellow elders, you're so glad that you're here. And we start a conversation. We start chit-chatting a little bit. You also need to know as a backstory is I took an entire course in seminary on American sectarian movements. So I am perfectly trained for this moment in time. So I start with some easy questions and then I start dialing it up a little bit. And I'm dialing up the questions and I can, again, they're looking at each other of like, like, who is this guy? And I'm turning up the heat a little bit and asking these questions. And I can tell they're getting more and more comfortable and they're wanting to back away. And I'm having some fun with this. And all of a sudden, there's that little voice in the back of my head that goes, Rich, are you welcoming them or are you trying to win the conversation? Yeah, I'm trying to win the conversation. So I tell them, thank you for coming. God loves them, and I hope they have a great day. I don't agree with their methods. I applaud their passion. But you know their motive? That's between them and God. I can't fully know their motives. I know my motives, though. And a lot of the times, my motive, like that lawyer in the story today, is that I want to justify myself. To which Jesus says, love your neighbor. End of story. Let's pray. God, forgive us for being marketing reps instead of disciples. Forgive us for not allowing your good news to sink into our whole life where we extend invitations instead of giving a pitch. Help us to learn how to give like the Good Samaritan, to give without strings attached, to give without expecting anything in return. That we don't obey in order to be accepted, we realize that we're accepted. And because of that, we can joyfully obey. We thank you, God, that you do not have any hidden agendas and that none of your promises come with your fingers crossed behind your back. And help us in this 
quiet moment in the sanctuary to do our own little motive check of why we're saying what we're saying, why we're doing what we're doing. And so strip away our ulterior motives and leave us with the ultimate motive of your goodness in the world. That we don't have to justify ourselves because you will justify us. And so for anybody here who knows what it's like to only want to win or look good or be right, help us to know that your grace is sufficient, that you love us, and that you had your own heart shattered. And because of that, you have shown us the full extent of your love. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and all of God's people said.